our Father, we are always humbled when we consider that you've asked us to come boldly to the throne of grace, that we might find help and comfort in times of need. And we are in such a time, Father, and all of us here are constantly crying out to you, Father, for your hand of mercy and protection and grace in this time of trial for our nation and our people. So many have been uh, polluted in their minds uh, by lies, which clearly have risen to the level of satanic, satanic lies. And it's just so evident to us what they are, but there are many captured by those lies or in some way influenced, and they do not comprehend what's really happening. And they're led astray into not only false beliefs, but evil uh, styles of living that just uh, uh, are, are corrupt at their roots. So, Father, I just pray for the nation, its leaders, our government on every level, and all those who aren't part of those bodies, but, but who are certainly active and living a life here in this world, such as it is. And certainly we pray for our own and your own, Father, that you would protect us all. There are many enemies, not only this virus. Some are spiritual indeed, and corrupt the soul and the spirit. So, Father, I pray for protection for our president and those that serve in the government with him under attack continuously by so many forces that seem invincible. But, Father, we know the truth. You are the one who is uh, invincible. Uh, there can be no foe that can succeed in battle against you, Father. And uh, we're just so thankful that we can rest in that confidence and in that hope that your will will be accomplished. It may mean our nation is turned over to evil. It may not. We wait upon you, Father, to see. But we do pray for protection and safety for our leaders and our president. And that you encourage all those in the front lines of this war that is being fought there, uh, battle by battle and uh, on many fronts. Father, as we open your word this morning, I pray that you would uh, just work a miracle in our hearts for your honor and glory in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, well, we uh, want to finish up Paul's first letter to Timothy today and um, I'll put as a title, simple three-word title on this uh, study today, and that is Paul's first letter to Timothy, its dispensational significance. I think if uh, the teachers of God's word would clearly see what's written here and see the dispensational focus that Paul has here, they would have a different view of the letter. I mean, I certainly, as we've gone through these letters, I'm thinking of Philippians, and then after that, First and Second Thessalonians, I believe that was next, and and now uh, First Timothy. Uh, to see the 
the entire scope of the teaching in these letters. It's the most remarkable thing. It's actually stunning sometimes to be reading and seeing something that we never saw before and seeing how the Holy Spirit gave the Apostle Paul the very words that needed to be shared. And they were not only very personal, very practical, and very powerful as personal statements about uh, the circumstances that these believers were in. Paul wrote them certainly uh, in response to what he had heard or, or read of the believers that he'd loved so dearly and what their various trials were in life or in the churches or in spiritual warfare. So, you know, he's writing that way, but that he weaves into it such exalted heavenly truth. It's just really, for me, it's been very, uh, quite stunning, quite overwhelming. And I hope for you too. That's why I want to spend one more uh, teaching on the subject here before we go then into Paul's second letter to Timothy, the very last uh, thing that came from the pen of the Apostle Paul, his second letter, just before his martyrdom under Emperor Nero in Rome. Okay, last time we, uh, we had as our title, Son Timothy, O Man of God, Flee. <laughs> Those are the very words <laughs> that Paul wrote. Son Timothy, O Man of God, O Man of God, Flee. Flee from what? How could it have been that important? Well, it was, and we saw why. And uh, I'm not going to review it now because today we're also dealing with the entire letter and an earlier review won't be necessary. Last time we looked chapter by chapter. Today, theme by theme. Okay. So the outline today, and it's all about First Timothy and its dispensational importance. So first of all, an exhortation. Secondly, its essence. In other words, the dispensational teaching its essence. Then its foundation. That's all in chapter one, actually. <laughs> and then uh, its application. Paul then applies that teaching in every chapter in one way or another. And in chapter three, the foundation of that in chapter three, verses 15 and 16, shine forth. So that is the mystery of godliness. And then the application of the dispensational teaching. It's in all chapters, as I said, but uh, we'll just pick out a couple of things uh, as we go along, although I think all of you have been here uh, the whole time and you've heard uh, this teaching already. Finally, First Timothy, it's dispensational importance amplified, amplified. When Paul gets to the end, he amplifies again what he'd already stated so clearly in chapters one and four. Okay. And that's about the false teachers and how critical it is that Timothy carry Paul's mantle well. The false teachers seek to destroy. 
at that time they sought to destroy the Pauline revelation, to erase it once and for all from the hearts, minds, probably even from the written documents, right? so that uh, their t false teachings might reign supreme. But their teachings were the teachings of Satan. Who won in the end? It was the Lord God, of course. We wouldn't have this great letter before us today. So let's begin. First Timothy, its dispensational importance and exhortation, the first section here. So, Ed, would you please read this for, it, for us, and then I will... Comment verses one through four of chapter one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went to Macedonia that thou chargest that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in the faith so do thank you ed thank you ed well verse 4 there is the one i especially wanted to focus on um, it's so relevant to our study of this letter and our topic today of the dispensational importance of this letter so um but first just those first couple of verses right paul introduces the letter in his, in his customary way there paul apostle of jesus christ by the commandment of of who of god our savior and Lord Jesus Christ, who is our hope, right? Um, I could say a lot about that. I believe that's uh, uh, a statement about the Lord Jesus called God there. That's what I believe. I don't believe he's talking about God the Father there, but rather God the Son who commanded Paul to go forth with this great message. So God our Savior, even our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our hope. Um, but enough on that now. Uh, he calls Timothy a son in the faith, and then this uh, salutation. Usually it's just grace and peace. In a couple of places, it's grace, mercy, and peace. This is one of those, right? And I think mercy because Timothy was not a perfect vessel for the Lord to use as none of None are, right? Uh, look at the Apostle Paul. If you want an example of that, right? And Paul does write about how there was much mercy shown to him, right? That he was accounted faithful and uh, placed into this great ministry, given this revelation directly from the ascended Christ for all of us members of his body, whether Jew or Gentile, bond or free, male or female, uh, whatever you know, rich or poor, whatever the, the uh, distinction might be. And you need to mute, Ed. You need to mute, okay? Okay, great. Uh, 
So then he says that a commandment had been given, right? <laughs> uh, there is a commandment. He says, I charged you. Um, to abide in Ephesus, okay? And uh, Paul wanted to stay, but had to go on, I guess, and so he went to Macedonia, right? Um, says that thou mightest charge, and so there's a commandment there uh, that Timothy would teach and even charge, is a very strong word, right? Some who might be inclined otherwise, that they teach no other doctrine. No doctrine of a different sort is what he's talking about there. To teach the true doctrine, the pure doctrine, uh, is what Paul is exhorting, right? But there were others who had risen up, even within that church, who were teaching uh, something quite to the contrary. Okay, so he says here that other teaching only brings more questions. It it never reaches the sure foundation of the eternal word of the living God, right? And many of us here can testify from our own personal experience how we were caught up in those things for some time. And uh, until the word was opened to us, the blindness was lifted. We saw, for example, just to bring up a number of things, we saw the incredible difference between law and grace. And uh, that's uh, how many are bound. They're bound within a religious system that uh, is focused on works or faith plus works, but not on the, uh, the truth of God regarding his abundant grace. So that's uh, that. Now, there are words here, though, that we need to uh, take note of. I mentioned last time. In fact, Lewis... Uh, reminded us at the end last time about the proper uh, words here in verse 4, right? Either give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than what? It says in the King James, rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. It says that because that's actually the translation of the Greek manuscript that they were using at the time, godly edifying. Instead of uh, what I believe is the correct manuscripts, they existed the whole time. It's just that the translators uh, of the King James didn't have them because the Roman Catholic tradition had covered up these manuscripts as much as they could. In fact, the Latin translation was from that other manuscript. So in the Latin, you also have words that mean the same thing as what you see here, godly edifying, which is in faith. Um, but that's not what it's all about. It's about the dispensation. So the correct manuscripts read the dispensation of God, the one which is in faith or by faith. Okay. And so that's how Paul introduces the letter to Timothy from the beginning, focusing in on its dispensational teaching and significance. Okay, how important was this to Paul? That's how important it was right at the beginning, right? Uh, false teachers had uh, been teaching against that, contrary to that. They denied the distinction and, and, and uh, significance of the dispensation of the grace of God. 
given to Paul for us Gentiles. They denied that. Instead, they were teaching and preaching a legal system. Okay, let's uh, get on to that. Our second point today, First Timothy, it's dispensational importance. It's essence. It's essence. What is the essence of the dispensational teaching? First uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 uh, indicates that. I'll read from verse 7 to verse, from verse 5 to verse 7. Now, the end of the commandment is charity or love out of a pure heart and of good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some having swerved have turned aside into vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Okay, so that's uh, the statement. The false teachers were oriented towards law and not grace, you see. And what did that give them? He said it didn't give them a pure heart or a good conscience or or a true faith. It gave them just the opposite. Okay, because false teaching cannot give those blessings of God, right? But only uh, a substitute, only a religious substitute, which is of the flesh or even worse of spiritual enemies, right? So the real issue is mentioned here right at the beginning. The issue there in Ephesus, where Timothy was pastor, the emphasis of many had come to be legalism, legalism. They didn't know what they were talking about, Paul says. Well, I think what he means is they didn't even understand the true nature of law. If they did, they would have known that that God wasn't ruling under law any longer, right? Uh, he had before for a long, long time uh, under Moses, right? But that had been set aside, and now grace was being revealed as Paul was teaching it, right? And so the Paul says in this section in several different ways the, what the essence of dispensational teaching is. It's a teaching not about legal works, but rather about grace through faith and the fruit of that, right? So what many had taught was that some some kind of legal dispensation still applied and that they were living in the middle of it, right? Whether that was just kind of a revised mosaic legal system, not taking Moses' law that literally, perhaps, but mixing it with other things, perhaps with Greek, Greek religion, <laughs> in other words, a Gnostic kind of system, um, or other local religious ideas, or maybe <clears throat> what they believed God was doing had to do with the millennial kingdom, which not taking it literally, of course, but uh, rather allegorically. And many today are doing exactly the same thing, right? So Paul, however, taught the dispensation of grace. They were teaching one of law, and the two were entirely different. Problem was with their teaching that that dispensation of law that they thought was in effect was in fact set aside. Uh, all legalisms have been set aside under grace. And that's really 
the uh, danger of the false teachings, that it, it circumvents, it short circuits, really, the work of God under grace, right? So, what is this word dispensation all about? It's not used very much anymore today. Even in the seminaries, you can read what are considered to be the more current modern translations of the Bible. Uh, they don't use the word dispensation usually. The closest they come would be the word administration, which is okay. <clears throat> it's okay as a as a translation. Uh, it's just that I like the word dispensation because uh, I think it it conveys uh, something very special. Administration could be of any sort, right? <laughs> we see a lot of administrations uh, active, whether on a federal level, state level, local level, in our day. Do you see dispensations active? <laughs> well, it's kind of a special word, isn't it? And I like it. Uh, the word means literally a household management system. How is the household being managed? How is it being run? How is the one in charge ruling the household? That's what the dispensation is all about. Um, There are still dispensaries, at least maybe in England. I don't know about here. Uh, there was at my university a dispensary, which I needed to go to once. Unfortunately, when I really needed it, it was closed. Uh, I thought I was dying of the flu, but anyway, I, I was preserved by the Lord. Um, and there are certain things that are dispensed at a pharmacy, right? That kind of gets to the heart of the meaning here, right? Uh, dis a dispensation is a household management. Now, if the interpreters of God's word would re remember that, or if they knew that, they wouldn't uh, force upon us uh, false teachings as they often are. So what is the question then? The question is, what is God doing? Okay, God is managing his affairs, right? and uh, certainly managing the affairs of his people. And that's what the dispensation of the grace of God is all about. It's how God is working. Now, if we don't know how God is working, then we will more than likely attempt to do what only God can do. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. Satan always opposes what God is doing. Best he understands that, right? He doesn't understand it very well, but he watches us carefully. I wonder what he's learning, right, about grace. I hope he's learning something important. Okay, so Satan works to sort of contradict, suspend, interfere in every possible way with what God's doing. So if God's working under grace, then Satan's certainly not, right? Uh, what is Satan working out or trying to work out? Works plus faith or simply works alone, right? Common teachings of religious systems. Um, one of the best examples being the Roman Catholic doctrine that was presented at the Council of Trent in 1563 in response to the uh, Lutheran and uh, Protestant Reformation, right? That Council of Trent was never revoked. It's still in effect. And it condemns all Protestants to eternal 
hellfire. Why? Because according to the Council of Trent, it's not by grace that we're saved, but by grace plus works. Satan's gospel, right? Let's look at Acts 20, though. I'd like uh, uh, Sarah to read this for us because we see sort of the background of Timothy's relationship to Paul and how Paul, at this particular occasion we're going to read about here, uh, is sent off uh, and he's prepared and then sent off uh, to Ephesus. So, Sarah, would you read to us from Acts chapter 20, verses 31 and 32? Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking verse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who, those who are sanctified. Thank you, Sarah. The Apostle Paul and those traveling with him are um, on their way to Jerusalem and they're in a hurry. They want to get there by a certain day, okay? But uh, because of that, and because they're sailing from city to city, and um, the great city of Ephesus is a little bit out of the way, uh, and they stop in a city called Miletus, and at that point, Paul sends for, in other words, he sends a sh someone on a boat, because that's the fastest way to Ephesus from Miletus, uh, to get the elders of the church and to bring them to him in Miletus. Okay, and so these words were given to the Ephesian elders. Now, you might find it shocking. The Ephesian elders need to be exhorted in this fashion, but they do. And the reason is Paul has revelation from God as to how the enemy is going to work. He's going to raise up from within the Ephesian church. Now, Paul, <laughs> Paul spent, it says here, verse 31, three years in Ephesus. They knew the Pauline teaching so well, and yet the enemy was very much at work there behind the scenes, and then eventually it would become visible as even some of the elders themselves in the Ephesian church would start preaching false doctrine, right? And so what Paul exhorts these elders is to be very, very careful about that. He says, uh, verse 32, it is the word of his grace which is able to build you up. Not that word of law and legal works, but the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among them, all them which are sanctified. So grace builds up, works cannot. One provides an inheritance eternally. The other only leads to works that will be burned up by the fires of the judgment seat of Christ. One lays hold on eternal life. The other can never even relate to that new life which is in Christ Jesus. So that's uh, the essential foundation of dispensational teaching. I think it's made very clear there. Acts chapter 20, verse 32. 
Okay, let's go on um, to consider the foundation of this teaching. Uh, and that's in uh, chapter three, but we're going to start out in chapter one. So, Anne, I would, Anne, I'd like you to read um, from chapter one of First Timothy, verses 15, 16, and 17. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all accept acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should be hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, and only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Anne. Well, I could say that's a real, that verse 17 is a real, uh, what, <laughs> an incredible statement, isn't it? Um, whatever happens in life, uh, nevertheless, the foundation, it still stands, right? Because who's in charge ultimately? The king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Be honor and glory forever and ever. He's incorruptible. He's, in fact, raised gloriously from the dead, having already set aside and paid the full penalty for all sin and sins. So that's uh, ultimately the foundation. But what does Paul say in these two verses earlier, well, he says, um, the Lord God and Christ Jesus uh, has accomplished a great purpose in this redemptive plan. It's finally come to the point, he says, <laughs> Christ Jesus actually came from heaven's glory into the world. And that's the incarnation, right? He came to save sinners and he says, of whom I'm chief. And I've spent much time on this before with all of you pointing out that that word uh, is um, translated first in the next verse, not chief. It's talking about first in a series. It's not talking about the greatest of all. He's not saying he's the greatest sinner. Uh, he might have felt like that, but uh, that's not actually what is being taught here. What's being taught here is that Paul... Um, was set forth as the first in a series. And verse 16 makes that clear. For this cause I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern or for a type to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. So Paul is set forth as a pattern for us to follow him and to uh, live what he lived, he because he was the example set before us for our edification, our teaching, our edification, and our as our example. Okay, so that's uh, that's dispensationally very significant. So the very foundation of the teaching is found here. But that's not all, because the next uh, section we want to look at gets to the pinnacle of this teaching. <clears throat> if we want to talk about the foundation of the dispensational doctrine, it's surely 
based upon the incarnation of Christ, but even more than that, okay? And so we see that in the next section, Ben. Uh, I'd like you to read that for us. First Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. So that's uh, that's just this uh, sort of in one breath kind of the whole thing. Right? <laughs> How could it have been done better than this? I well, it couldn't have been done because this is, it's the central teaching. Uh, actually, the very central verses in the whole letter are verses 5 and 6 uh, that speak about how one needs to live in the church to reveal the glory of God. So verses 15 and 16 explain that, right? He says, how one ought us to behave thyself in the house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And so this goes into these different aspects of that. And <laughs> let me point out that when we see the word mystery, we shouldn't think of something mysterious. That's a common mistake. The mysteries are not mysterious. They're simply unknowable. They cannot be known. They're kept secret until God reveals them. Then they can be known. And that's what he's writing about here. Uh, now, the incarnation was prophesied in the Old Testament, so that could have been known about. That's not the specific aspect he's writing about here. Here he's writing about the mystery of godliness. Okay? And uh, in order to understand that better, last time I took you there, but I want to uh, emphasize it again today, because I, I believe this is actually, if I dare say so, the most important teaching in the whole letter, okay? Um, there are many important teachings in this letter, but I think here we have the most important. Paul writes about the same subject in Colossians, uh, chapter 1 and uh, verses uh, 25 through 28. I'll read that for you. Whereof I made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, to complete it, to complete the word of God. In other words, to bring the revelation of the dispensation to you. That's the the uh, privilege given to Paul by the ascended Christ. And then he says in verse 26, too, what is that needed to be completed? Even the mystery, which had been hid from the ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Well, in Acts chapter 20, verse 32, you remember, he said, 
the teaching of grace is what builds up. Okay, that's what builds up, edifies, makes mature. Just like in verse 28, he says, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, having reached that goal that God intends for us in this life. Key question is, in verse 28, who is preached? Who is Paul preaching? You might say, well, he's preaching Jesus, right? Well, he's preaching more than just Jesus. Jesus, according to prophecy, is one thing. He's preaching Jesus according to the mystery here, okay? <laughs> whom we preach. Who is he preaching? Well, the previous verse says exactly who that is. He says it, it, the, it's the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what Paul is engaged in preaching and teaching and living out to display the benefits of Christ in you, Gentiles. And what does Paul displaying to the world? Christ in him, right? Christ in him, the hope of glory. Whom we preach. Who's being preached? Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it's in that that the whole teaching of Paul uh, is uh, founded. It's in that remarkable exalted heavenly teaching that was given to Paul by the ascended Christ. And I referenced a number of verses quickly before. First um, Corinthians 15:45 says that Christ was raised from the dead as a life-giving spirit. That means a spirit that can come into you and me giving us life. What kind of life does he give us? Newness of life, right? Uh, we receive him in his resurrection spirit, right? <clears throat> it was made to the world and to angels. Uh, I referred to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 21. It says angels are watching us to learn. Uh, elect angels are watching us uh, to gain understanding of grace and what it's all about. Because all the angels know about is how through one transgression, a third of them uh, went into oblivion, as it were, as far as the work of God was concerned. Just through one transgression, right? Satan himself, Lucifer, did the same and led the rest, right? It says, preached unto the Gentiles. Preached unto, yes, indeed. Christ in you, the hope of glory, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Past tense is there. You can go to Romans 6 and 8 and Colossians 3, verse 1, to see the past tenses regarding ourselves as we are accounted as to having died with Christ, been buried with him, and having been already raised from the dead and even ascended, seated into heaven's glory, seated at Christ's right hand, as it were, right? Okay, so there we are, uh, risen with Christ, seeking those things which we above, which are above, and I, as I like to say, looking down on things on this earth. Keep looking down from your heavenly position, right? 
These are totally transforming truths to consider. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 refers to that. I want you to read that when you have an opportunity. 1 Corinthians 4 verses 14 through 17 and explains how Paul sent Timothy uh, even to the Corinthians. He sent him to the Corinthians at one point. It says, uh, verse 16 of 1 Corinthians 4, Wherefore I beseech you, Corinthians, I beseech you, followers of me, in other words, imitate me, Paul's saying this to the Corinthians, for this cause have I sent unto you Timothy, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul sets forth himself as that example because Christ had set him forth as that example. Remember? First, well, for all those who would uh, come along later uh, as members of Christ's body, saved by grace through faith alone. So the essence of dispensational teaching is that it is not primarily about ages, as many still teach today, it's all about ages, they say. Well, no, it isn't. There are ages involved, yes, but it's all about God's management of his realm, his creation, and especially the saints of God. That management isn't the same. From time to time, it's been changed. Under Moses, it was one thing. Uh, changed later. Today, something else quite different. In the future, it will change again more than once, right? So even the kingdom law doesn't rule today, not really. If it did, if the kingdom law was ruling today, many, perhaps ourselves indeed, would have suffered the death penalty for gross transgressions, right? Our nation would be no more, and the lion and the lamb would be our friends along with the serpents. Well, they're not my friends, but maybe <laughs> some people think they are and have their heads uh, damaged severely, right? So today it's all about God's abundant grace and the, through the finished work of Christ on the cross. Paul preached, taught that, and lived it out for all to see he was our example, as the heavenly Christ was his example. First Corinthians 11. One. Okay, let's go on further. Next, the dispensational importance has applications, and it has applications everywhere. Last time we already went into that. All the chapters focus on some kind of exhortation, right? Uh, there's an application in every one of these areas. First of all, for Timothy, many applications for Timothy. If God is working this way, Timothy, then you need to promote that in every possible way, with no exceptions, right? Chapter 2 was about the order uh, order of submission to authorities. Uh, kings, also in the church leadership, uh, elders, deacons, women, right? How all would be in the proper order uh, in the churches. And then the main focus ultimately there was on the seed of the woman promise. We looked at that. Uh, that's what led us into the teaching 
I think it was seven seven part teaching on prisoners of hope. I'm sure you remember it well. Chapter three is about the qualifications for leadership. Uh, but then the mystery of godliness, which is at the center of it all, right? He calls it there also the mystery of the faith, the mystery of the faith. Chapter four, how godliness works itself out in fruitfulness in marriage regarding eating, drinking, and that sort of thing. And finally, uh, the oversight of the churches and the teaching responsibilities. Chapter five is very practical about supporting elders, especially those that rule well in word and doctrine, he says. It's about widows and how the church has responsibility, not the government, but the church. And it's about caring for family members uh, who are in need. And then chapter six, the final and great exhortations, amazingly starts out with the rich and their responsibilities. And then finally, Timothy's great challenge to keep the faith and to lay hold on eternal life. So you all remember that well. Let's skip on to the last section here quickly. Um, the dispensational importance amplified. And uh, first of all, he exhorts Timothy in chapter one to war a good warfare against the enemy that would raise up even from within the churches. And he says, these enemies have made the faith shipwreck or of the faith shipwreck the faith of course referring to the body of doc doctrine concerning the dispensation of grace but then we get to uh, chapter four and paul repeats the exhortation there very practically and uh, would you please read first timothy chapter four verses one and two charlie go ahead charlie first timothy four one and two Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Charlie. Whoa, what a exhortation that is. So Paul knew, uh, how prophetically, that very hard times would be coming there in that church. And... Uh, he exhorts Timothy to uh, be bold, 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 bold. That's the key thing there. Bold and with the power of God to confront directly those uh, teaching false doctrine, right? Notice he, uh, <laughs> oh, well, he also uses the words watch and warn uh, a little bit earlier there. So notice that he's talking there about a departure. Uh, he, he says, uh, in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. Uh, this is just the opposite. Well, I mean, it's not the opposite. It's, it's another kind of departure from what we read about in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. It's just the opposite, one could say. It's certainly very different. This is a departure from the faith in Second 
Thessalonians 2, there's a departure, same word used, only that departure is of the church <laughs> itself from the earth, right, at uh, the Lord's calling and the rapture. And uh, <clears throat> the context makes all the difference here. It's not that departure he's writing about, but a departure from the faith according to the context. So, so very, uh, very interesting teaching here about the mystery of godliness. And then the final, the final teaching, Patty, uh, the final teaching here where we end today is in chapter 6, uh, verses 20 and 21 of 1 Timothy. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. It might seem like he's ended the letter a little shortly. Um, indeed, uh, perhaps, perhaps there was uh, a crisis, or maybe uh, the ship was uh, departing. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> it was already moving, and Paul wrote the last words and handed it over the <laughs> over the side of the ship to whoever is carrying the letter to Ephesus, right? Um, this precious letter to Paul's son in the faith, Timothy. All about the dispensational teaching of God, all about the mystery of godliness and how our lives are to be centered in that, right? Uh, how important was the dispensational teaching to Paul? Well, I think you, you know it well. It was so important that uh, it might require we know that it did, uh, the giving of Paul's own life, right, in martyrdom. And uh, at least church history indicates Timothy's as well, right? He says there were false teachers even in the church. Do we not see that today? He says there were vain <clears throat> teachings. Uh, <laughs> even he calls it a false kind of knowledge or science, right, that had led them astray. Well, many seek knowledge, many seek wisdom, but often uh, what uh, soothes uh, the heart and the soul of the lost is uh, a false, uh, a false confidence based upon somebody's not true knowledge or science at all. In fact, these babblings, he says, are everywhere. And do we not hear them? They're echoing, they're echoing the babblings of the false teachers, right? Uh, Paul exhorted Timothy to have nothing to do with them. Teach them the truth and leave them behind. Uh, because it's Satan's lies that were at the heart of their teaching and at the heart of their profession of faith. Many believed those lies, but that didn't make them true, right? Well, that's where we stand today. I think First Timothy was very relevant to the days in which we live. And uh, it is the mystery of godliness that ought to uh, capture us day by day, hour by hour, and moment by moment. Uh, the mystery of the faith and uh, of godliness is where we live.
Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's the essence of this teaching. And praise the Lord. Paul said, remember, I wrote it down and mentioned it a few times. Oh, Timothy, oh, man of God, <laughs> flee. <laughs> ah, indeed. Well, I pray that and hope that our spirits are encouraged by these words. We live in a dark time. It may get much darker, however. And perhaps in the darkness, God will work the great light for many, right? And I think he will, because otherwise we wouldn't still be here. We'd be caught up into heaven's glory because he would have finished the work here. The work here is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach. Teaching every man in all wisdom, right? That we might be made complete in him. Amen? Amen. Well, are there any uh, comments or questions before we close today? Patty has one. Well, I, I just wanted to comment on the the word glory. Yeah. Glory is is the brightness of God Himself. Yes. Um, and in the very dark world, that glory shines forth Amen. in yeah. us and through us. And I was thinking about the verse that Ed and Sarah you gave this to us in a calligraphy that we oh, yes. treasure and it's Second Corinthians written by Lara um, chapter 4 verse 6 yes but God who said light shall shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and uh, as such such a glorious hope. It's all about our blindness being lifted and the glory of God flooding our souls and spirits. Praise the Lord. Any other comments uh, today or questions? <coughs> Hi, Jim. This is Lewis. How are you? Hi, Lewis. Welcome. Yeah. yeah, sorry for being late. Uh, yeah, yeah, as you mentioned earlier about the... Uh, First Timothy uh, chapter one verses four and the godly uh, edifying, yeah. and you mentioned that the it was probably likely likely uh, stray out of the uh, uh, Catholics you know Latin translation. Mm -hmm. So I took a peek at the earlier English translation uh, out of both uh, Wycliffe and yes. Tyndale translation. Yeah, uh, as we know that Wycliffe's translation, English translation, was straight from the Latin. Mm -hmm. So indeed, Wycliffe's translation was "Edification of God." Then Tyndale's, uh, not surprisingly, <laughs> God, uh, "Godly Edification." So yeah. King James was immediately after that. So it's uh, understandable how the King James came about is actually straight from the Latin. Yes, if you look at the Latin Vulgate, you'll see that that's exactly the wording there. Okay, the words, quam edificationem dei. Okay, the 
edification of God. Quae est in fide, which is in faith. That's the uh, the Latin. Okay, so it's exactly right, Lewis. But many manuscripts existed even then. They just didn't have them at their hands when they did the translation. Where we see the word dispensation of God, the one which is in faith. There's just one letter difference between oikonomia and oikodomia. One letter difference. Okay, uh, any other comments before we uh, close in prayer today? Okay, let's pray. Our Father, we are humbled by your precious word, the word of truth. Your word, Father, it's reached into the darkness and uh, brought many sinners uh, into the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, as it were, through this precious word of truth. Father, I pray that the teachings uh, of this dispensation, the dispensation which is of grace and not of law, Father, I pray that it would capture our hearts and souls, that it would be uh, on our lips as we speak forth, as we should, uh, as we reveal your glory in our daily lives. Father, may we live in an honorable way, not a dishonorable way. And may your fruit always be evident. And Father, as we live in difficult and trying times, and they are surely that, but Father, we know they could be quite significantly worse. We read church history. We certainly see that on every page, right? So, Father, I, I just pray that you'd sustain us through these times, that our testimony would be pure indeed. A pure testimony is of great, great value, as uh, the apostle wrote. And, uh, Father, we would just continue to enjoy you then, resting in and uh, recognizing the sufficiency of your grace for today and for all days, even unto eternity. Father, may we lay hold on eternal life, therefore, in these days. In Christ's name, amen and amen.